You're listening to Threshold Radio with Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp. Forbidden archaeology. Portion of what is viewed as national security. Look at these lights going across the road. You can argue about Roswell all you want to, but something happened today. We're just collecting the data. Is we it know there's a debate out there. Government? Is it we're dealing with something genuine. This isn't make-believe. Thresholds into other realms. You're listening to Threshold Radio. On today's show, we have Stephen Bassett, Michael Clean, Suzanne Taylor, and much more. We're going to start off the show right away with Stephen Bassett right after this quick commercial break. You're listening to Threshold Radio. TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-Info. Welcome back to Threshold Radio. With us right now is our good friend, Stephen Bassett from Paragon Research Group. How are you doing today, Stephen? Uh, I'm doing just fine. It's great to be with you. Now, Steve, we have a lot of new listeners out there. Can you explain what Paradigm Research is? Paradigm Research Group was formed in 96 um, and is based in Bethesda, Maryland. It was created to be an advocacy NGO, non-governmental organization, to pursue... um, the political resolution of the, what has been called the UFO question. Uh, I call it the extraterrestrial question because I believe it's been quite well proven that extraterrestrial non-human intelligence is behind this phenomenon from wherever they are and most likely from another star system, which by the way, we're discovering planets every day and they estimate there may be as many as 50 billion or more in the galaxy. It's called Paradigm Research Group because one of the, uh, first actions that PRG took was to register with the Congress as a lobbyist on behalf of a number of groups, number of organizations that were doing research, so Paradigm Research Group, but it's actually not a research organization per se. Since 1996, the uh, PRG has pursued the advocacy of the ET issues resolution um, by all means possible, and that's that's the essence of it. Um, The the overall umbrella for the for the world that um, the the, um, the issues that we're dealing with is is exopolitics. That is the term that I feel appropriately describes what uh, groups like PRG and other activists are doing. It's exopolitics is the political, social uh, aspects, history, past, present of of um, the ET issue. Right. So in a, nu- in a nutshell, you're trying to just break through the truth embargo is what it is, right? And get the government well, to yeah, admit. And, and the, goal of, the goal of the movement is, is to end the truth embargo, which is what I call what used to be called the UFO cover-up. I don't call it that. I think it's more appropriately called the truth embargo, which is the decision by the U.S. government and other governments to withhold the acknowledgement of the ET presence to contain the public's, how would you say, awareness of it. Uh, and prevent it from becoming an issue they have to deal with directly in, in, the, in a public arena. Uh, and the, the end of the truth embargo would be what is referred to as the, the disclosure event, disclosure with a capital D. This is an event, it's not a process. 
disclosure is uh, the acknowledgement of the ET presence by the world government, starting with a government, meaning it is the leader of a nation telling their people, yes, there are extraterrestrials here. We couldn't tell you before, we can tell you now. That's disclosure. That is the goal of the advocacy movement, and that is what PRG has been pursuing now for 16 years. That's a, that's a tough one, too. <laughs> that's a major project to get the governments to admit that one. They're all tough. Uh, I assure you, all the major advocacy movements in history were tough. Uh, some of them, I think, perhaps a lot tougher than this. Oh. <laughs> but uh, significant it is. It's, it's, I think it's the most significant political advocacy movement in history, and the, and, the, um, and the outcome will be the most profound I think event in human history. Oh, definitely. Once this happens, yeah. Once this happens, this is going to be probably the utmost important event ever. I think so. I think if if you if you gauge it by the the breadth, the scope of the impact, I mean, how many people are affected? And of course, we have a lot of people on the planet now, almost seven billion, and it's going to impact in one way or another the lives of virtually all seven billion. And then you, and, and you gauge it on the speed of the impact. The nature of the world today is that something major like that happens and and it, it goes around the world in a few hours so uh, compared to anything else uh, we've seen in in our short history of ten thousand years or so since the the events of of that time that virtually well extraordinary events happened back then that that wiped out a great deal of of uh, civil whatever civilization existed and so we essentially kind of started over in those ten thousand years since this easily, I think, can be described as the the most profound event to have taken place to date once it happens. So what do you got for us today? Well, there is a significant project underway, which represents a milestone. Most people in the country don't know what's even going on. Uh, and most of the people that know about it don't quite understand how significant it is. And that is the focus of PRG's work right now. So let me bring your audience up to speed of what has taken place. Very quickly, the Obama administration made the decision to launch a petition project to engage the American people, to bring issues out, uh, and probably to score some nice points leading into the presidential election later this year. Uh, they launched it back in September of 2011, September 22nd to be precise. And um, it's a bold and, and substantial project. It is called We the People. It is based on the White House website. And anyone can submit a petition to We the People. And if they gather enough signatures, and they have to gather it, they have to do the work, the uh, White House uh, uh, will uh, respond to that petition and the issue that has been raised. There are some rules and protocols that one follows. Uh, they do have the right not to respond, and but they, they have to give the reason. And they have not responded to some of these petitions primarily over legal matters. They involve legal cases or whatever, and they are not do not wish to uh, enter in the middle of, of legal proceedings. Um, so uh, the protocols are fairly straightforward. You submit the petition. You open an account with We the People and submit a petition. As soon as you acquire 150 signatures using the direct link to that petition, they will then post it on the White House website for all to see worldwide. Uh, and then you have 30 days to achieve 
a certain amount of signatures in order to guarantee a response from the White House. This was launched on September the 22nd, and Paradigm Research Group had a petition in uh, immediately. I think it was the third one submitted. At the time, the requirements were 5,000 signatures in 30 days in order to get a response. This petition got 12,000 signatures eventually, and the response came on November the 4th. All right, now, what response was that? What's going on here? The petition that was submitted, and this is all part of a plan. This is not just being made up as we go along. There's a very orchestrated plan to this. The petition that was submitted on September the 22nd is called the Disclosure Petition 1. And what it sought to do was to bring the core of the issue directly to the White House and get a response from them about it. In other words, this was there were no bets being hedged. This was unambiguous. And the petition read as follows. We petition the Obama administration to formally acknowledge an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race disclosure. We, the undersigned, strongly urge the president of the United States to formally acknowledge an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race and immediately release into the public domain all files from all agencies and military services relevant to this phenomenon. Hundreds of military and government agency witnesses have come forward with testimony confirming this extraterrestrial presence. Opinion polls now indicate more than 50% of the American people believe there is an extraterrestrial presence and more than 80% believe the government is not telling the truth about this phenomenon. The people have a right to know that people can handle the truth. This petition remained on that site for approximately um, uh, 40 days from September the 22nd to November the 4th when the response came. Now, this is where things start to get interesting. The response from the White House on November the 4th, which I'll get to in, in, in just a second, was notable for a number of reasons, but most importantly, it was notable because it was the first time since this whole issue explodes into the public awareness in, 19, in early 1947, when a huge uh, round of sightings uh, began taking place all around the world, including the famous event at, at near Roswell, New Mexico. In all of that time since, the executive branch intentionally and wisely, from their point of view, um, have never put a position in writing. And generally, the government has dodged any kind of significant statements. And ultimately, it settled down in the uh, late 60s and then in the 70s, where any queries to the government received a standard response from the Air Force, kind of a quick note saying, we no longer investigate this phenomena. Whatever it is, it doesn't pose a risk, and that was it. That's that was the inner interaction. Um, but on November the fourth, that all changed. The Office of Science and Technology Policy for the Obama administration issued this formal statement, and I'll just read a couple key paragraphs, not the whole thing. It's only nine paragraphs. It's not long. Thank, you, but but notice the wording, and notice and and keep in mind that this wording was is is and was was and is still on the White House website. Uh, where it can be viewed by anyone in the world. Okay. Thank you for signing the petition asking the Obama administration to acknowledge an extraterrestrial presence here on Earth. Well, engaging the Earth is the term I use, but yes, they, they do at times 
uh, trod the earth here. Um, the U.S. government has no evidence that any life exists outside our planet or that an extraterrestrial presence has contacted or engaged any member of the human race. And that is completely uh, <laughs> rock solid. It, there's no ambiguity there at all. There is no and never has been any evidence indicating life outside and engagement of, of, of humans. And in addition, and this is the one I love the most, in addition, there is no credible information to suggest that any evidence is being hidden from the public's eye. Okay, and they're speaking for the entire world, it sounds like, too, right? Not just the United States. No, in this, in this case, still, I'll give them that. They're speaking for the U.S. government. Okay. <laughs> just the U.S. government. But, 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 but in a way, they're saying the government has no evidence that any life exists. So in that sense, it's confined to the U.S. government, which means that maybe other governments have tons of evidence and they just forgot to tell us. But then they say, in, in addition, there is no credible information to suggest that any evidence is being hidden from the public's eye. In that case, they don't refer to the U.S. government. But I'm going to grant them. I'm, I'm going to be generous here. And, and I'm, this is basically about the government's position. Let's forget about other countries for now. It, it, is not, this, this response is notable for two very good reasons. One is, is it's completely false, completely false, not sort of false. It's completely false. And it's indefensible. Which means that any member of the administration that dared to appear, say, on a radio or rather a television news program and, and actually, quote, defend that statement to any of the top researchers or activists, it, it would be a joke. I mean, it would be sad, actually. They, they wouldn't have a chance. As of November 4th, for the first time, we have an, a, a stationary target, a formal position by the White House. Uh, that can be addressed that they can't run away from. It's, it's, they, they, they're now stuck with it. This is a milestone. It's a major milestone. It took 65 years since the Arnold sighting to get this in writing. And it only happened because the Obama administration initiated this petition process. So what happened next was quite interesting, John. First of all, the petition had the 5,000 signatures it needed in four days. Eventually, it got 12,000 signatures. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also attracted a great deal of media. And when the dust cleared by, by the time shortly after the White House response was uh, published, this petition had gotten more media coverage worldwide than all of the other posted petitions combined. Hmm. Hundreds, several hundreds of articles in many languages, you know, news, news uh, pieces on television, what have you. Uh, so that showed that the media is definitely paying attention. And that was significant. Well, that has to scare the government a little bit too, doesn't it? I, I don't know. They may whatever <laughs> what, they may be scared. They may not be. But right. uh, those articles and, and and all of this, by the way, that I'm talking about, can be easily referenced through the home website for this petition, and that is disclosurepetition.info. So anyone on the net simply go to disclosurepetition.info, and you will be able to follow some of this there and, and see what we're talking about. I'll put a direct link on the show on today's show too, so people can see it right there. Sure, absolutely. Um, so um, the there was extensive coverage, which was was quite notable. Now, let me put in perspective the scope of this project on the White House website. Since the um, pro project began on September the twenty second, they have received, we think, somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand petitions which goes to show that the people are hungry to talk to their government, to get responses, to engage it. However, most of the people that are submitting those petitions were not willing to or didn't have the means to promote 
and get those signatures needed to put it into play. And so of the 15 to 20,000 petitions that have been submitted, only about 400 got the necessary 150 signatures to be posted to the White House. Of those, of approximately 50, about 60 achieved the number of signatures to trigger a White House response. And of those, uh, the White House has so far responded to 49. So that gives you a perspective of the, of the scope of this project underway. One of those 49, of course, was disclosure petition one. Because of the huge number of petitions they received, they raised the threshold from 5,000 to 25,000 signatures back in October. Uh, otherwise, they might have ended up having to respond to several thousand petitions, which would have been quite a, uh, uh, a burden for them. And I appreciate that. So they raised it 25,000. So what then took place is that Paradigm Research Group stepped back and began to build the base to submit the second petition. And that petition is called Disclosure Petition to the Rockefeller Initiative. And the purpose of this petition is to directly challenge the White House statement and to break it. And what does that mean? If, if the White House's statement is broken, then in a sense, the truth embargo is broken. And since the White House statement is a formal policy now, or a formal statement of, of the Obama administration, it is completely fair game for all media. It's much less likely that any editor is going to object to a reporter engaging this. They may even assign people to it. Uh, it is no longer in the fringe some crazy thing that people still believe is true. It is an issue on the White House website. It is a policy uh, of the United States government executive branch. And so now the press are in a position to jump into this at any moment. Now, they haven't done so, though they did cover the first petition. The second petition is designed to trigger that press engagement. And there is there are some very good reasons why it could accomplish that. But first, let me read the disclosure petition to the Rockefeller uh, Initiative petition as it now sits on the White House website. We petition the Obama administration to immediately investigate UFO ET disclosure efforts during the Clinton administration of the Rockefeller Initiative. And now it goes on with the explanation. The Obama administration has formally stated the U.S. government has no evidence that any life exists outside our planet or that an extraterrestrial presence has contacted or engaged any member of the human race. If true, what was Clinton's Office of Science and Technology policy investigating from March of 1993 to October of 1996 in concert with billionaire Clinton friend Lawrence Rockefeller, he one of the sons of John D. Rockefeller? Uh, I'm, at, I'm adding that. All right. Those who knew and have not spoken publicly of this initiative include President Bill Clinton, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Obama Transition Chairman John Podesta, Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta, Vice President Al Gore, and Governor Bill Richardson. Now, let me repeat that. Those who knew and have, specific, and sp and have not spoken publicly of this initiative include President Bill Clinton, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and so forth. And I can add parenthetically that none of these individuals have ever been asked a single question publicly by any member of the media. Now, this is interesting, right? Because you know how the press are. They find out something odd about the president or what's going on in the White House, and they're all over it. 
One of the most notable examples is in the very first uh, months of the Clinton administration, Hillary Clinton had a friend who is, I guess you could say, uh, had a reputation of being a bit of a psychic uh, uh, and uh, uh, a medium and made mm-hmm. predictions and so forth. And she invited her uh, to the White House a couple of times, you know, to hang out, you know, just to, you know, she has her friends and she uh, has people over. And what they did on a couple of occasions when this person was visiting is they they did some role playing where Hillary would uh, imagine that she's talking to Eleanor Roosevelt uh, and talking to her about what it was like to be the first lady and what she faced and so forth. It's kind of a way of of getting acclimated to being the first lady and, and working out how she would deal with it. I mean, it was a form- it's a formidable job being first lady. Well, the press got wind of this and went nuts. <laughs> and you had articles all over the place, all around the world. Hillary Clinton is channeling Eleanor Roosevelt <laughs> and on and on and on. And it was a bit embarrassing, but it was news for them and they covered it. That's an example. And there are many, many more. Most people know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, what do we got here? The president of the United States allows a initiative to go on whereby a billionaire, Rockefeller, is engaging them on the UFOET issue, trying to get the Clinton administration to take various measures. It goes on for three years, and the press completely avoids covering it. That, that, that is right away. Very, very strange, yes. <laughs> but it gets better. Because the people that were, in some cases, involved, but, or in some cases knew that it was going on, included a president, Bill Clinton, his first lady who goes on to run and almost becomes president and now is secretary of state, Hillary Clinton, a key, the key, a key advisor to Clinton during that initiative who goes on to become his chief of staff and then eventually becomes the chairman of the now president Obama's transition team, a very important position that you, that this is, uh, that's conducted uh, between the election and the inauguration, the secretary, the form, the chief of staff of Clinton, who then goes on to become the, sec- the the director of the CIA and is now currently the secretary of defense, Leon Panetta, Clinton's vice president, Al Gore, who goes on to win the Nobel Prize and, and get deeply involved in geopolitical politics and science, Al Gore, and a congressman at the time who who eventually it was a Clinton friend and eventually becomes the Secretary of Energy, was um, um, tapped to be the Secretary of Commerce under Obama, though that did not go through, and until recently was the governor of New Mexico, Bill Richardson. This is no um, C-list of political players. This is the A-list. Correct. And they are actually involved in the government right now in making big decisions about the United States and its role in the world. So the fact that these people knew about or engaged, were engaged in this initiative, never spoken about it, is a huge story, assuming the press decided to make it a story. But it gets even better still, because in the year 2000, Canadian researcher Grant Cameron, because he was aware of the Rockefeller Initiative, because most of the principals on the, on, in the public arena, researchers and others, are still alive, and I've talked to many of them. Grant Cameron filed a Freedom of Information Act request of the Office of Science and Technology Policy for everything in their files regarding UFOs, ETs, Lawrence Rockefeller, and so forth. And oddly enough, he got back 1,000 pages of documents. 
which essentially confirm what went on. I don't think they're all the documents. I mean, there are others and other files outside of the OSTP. Uh, there are probably phone calls that were never recorded, but this more than confirms it. It also confirms the involvement, the direct involvement of Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, the direct involvement of indirect involvement of Webster Hubble, the associate attorney general at the time, Bill Clinton, and John Podesta. So these documents come into the hands of Grant Cameron. He provides a set to me. We made a couple copies, and we submitted them to several newspapers, including the Washington Post, which then proceeded to completely ignore them. Okay, fine. Then Grant Cameron was in the process of creating an extremely important website called Presidential UFO, where the information from these documents was, was posted in the Clinton section. And presidentialufo.com is the largest compilation of information in the world connecting the UFO ET issues in history to the presidents of the United States. It's a comprehensive site and extremely important. And uh, the Rockefeller Initiative narratives have resided there for 10 years. In addition, PRG set up a section on its website, paradigmresearchgroup.org, also addressing the Rockefeller Initiative in a, but in a manner to make it very easy and compelling for media and political media to engage the issue and get the picture. And for the last nine years on that site, 173 of the most uh, significant of the uh, documents received from the USTP uh, on this have resided with uh, in chronological order with thumbnails and what have you. So anybody could review it very quickly. And yet the media still would not engage it. Over that time, a number of press releases have been put out in various subjects. Open letters have been written to Obama, to Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, uh, referencing, again, this initiative. And again, the media would not cover it. So this petition also includes, in addition to what I just read, the links to these two sites, to these two sections. And so on the, we the White House website right now is this petition and these links where anyone can simply cut and paste these links into their browser and go directly to the documents that confirm this petition and its substance. In other words, there's simply nowhere to hide here. Now, what happens now? Simple. If this petition, Disclosure Petition 2, the Rockefeller Initiative, which, which was submitted to the White House on February the 23rd at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, if it achieves... 25,000 signatures by midnight, March 23rd, then the White House will be required under its own rules to formally respond to this petition and thus to the Rockefeller Initiative. And that is going to be a very big problem for them. That's point one. Point two, as the number of signatures grows, and presently there are approximately 1,900 signatures in the first 23 hours, as the number of signatures moves towards 25,000, the media are going to realize and note, and they are following this, that this petition is going to reach that threshold and is going to generate that response, in which case it becomes a significant potential news story, in which case the media is going to start reading it and checking out those links, in which case the media is going to start reading those documents and realize that one of the great political stories of our time has yet to be reported. Well, basically, it's going to be opening the floodgates. Once it starts, there's going to be no stopping it. That's the, that's the idea. Um, and if they begin 
approaching and engaging the principles that are listed here and start asking just the most obvious question. I do not see any way out, uh, frankly, for the government other than doing something rather extraordinary, something profound, something that we almost never see, which is to simply tell the American people the truth, <laughs> which would be so wonderfully refreshing that I imagine everybody will probably throw a giant party for themselves and, and, and party for 24 hours. So that isn't what's afoot here. Now I think perhaps your listeners are understanding better why, what is going on here, though while most people don't even know what's happening, why it in fact could be extremely important to their themselves, to their nation, to their species, to the planet. Um, the truth embargo ultimately is going to end. The sooner the better, and this may be the sooner here. So uh, the Rockefeller Initiative petition is underway. Uh, the direct link is being promoted all over the web. It's in the early stages, uh, but it's certainly up at disclosurepetition.info where you can link directly to the petition at the White House website, or people can go to whitehouse.gov and go to We the People and find the petition. Either way, it's same thing. Now, none of this though, let me put this, the overall impact of this will be very much dependent on the public. They, 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 if they do not step forward and speak uh, collectively, then it will dramatically d diminish the impact. If the petition does not receive 25,000 signatures, it will be deleted on March the uh, 24th. There will be, there'll be coverage, there'll be some news, there'll be some impact without question, but it, it, it will be far less than should it achieve that number. If it does get the 25,000 seniors, it will continue to remain on the White House website until the White House responds and continue to gain signatures. And thus the news cycle will be extended. And of course the story will be much more important. So that's the dynamics of that. What, so what do we need from the people? What do the people need to do? Anyone who believes this issue should be out, anyone who believes they can handle the truth and have a right to know, anyone that wants to, to begin the process of ending the massive secrecy that government is now bathed in, the abuse of power and secrecy that is ongoing, and start the process of balance and reform should sign this petition. Now, how do they do it? You go to the White House website or you use the direct link and you go to the petition. When you get there, if you haven't already done so, you have to open an account. You have to uh, create an account with We the People and you have a link and you click on it. They will ask you for your first and last name and your email address. You have the option of also providing your city and state, city and country and zip and postal code. But primarily you need first and last name and email address. Uh, when the petition is, uh, when your p signature is, is published though, it on the website, it will only uh, be your first name and last initial, just mention that. You will then get an email back from the White House uh, with a verification link you have to click and a password. None of this is shocking. This is uh, standard. This is, people have done this plenty of times in opening up commercial accounts on the web. You have to then use the password, log back into We the People, and then you can sign the petition and any other petitions that are there. That's it. Doesn't take but a couple of minutes if the site is working properly, and it takes a couple of seconds to sign the petition. Is this open to everybody worldwide, or is it just the uh, United States, or is there any stipulation? on who can do it? Remarkably, this process, for whatever reason, is open to every person in the country, in the world, and in the world. Any person living anywhere on the planet, if they've got an internet connection and an email address, can sign this petition. That's pretty cool, frankly, and I'm glad they did that. So the, the general audience believe the extraterrestrial issue is real. So we have a 
a core uh, um, a pool of potential signatories uh, of approximately 200 and, uh, I'm sorry, 2.8 billion people. That's great. Uh, you know, what can I say? So the idea that, well, they probably can't get those signatures, uh, I don't think so. So, um, and in the United States, about half the American people believe the UFO phenomenon is, in fact, extraterrestrial in origin. Probably more believe that too, Steve. They just won't admit it when it comes right down to it. Well, it, admittedly, with, with polls, they, they are they are anonymous, and so generally, you're getting a more accurate uh, accounting because if you publicly ask people this, or if you ask them by name, no, it's a right. much smaller percentage. But so we're getting, you know, but it's it's at least the, about fifty percent, and that's that's approximately 150 million American adults. Now, the number of people in the United States alone who think the government's not telling the truth is in excess of 80%. That's approximately uh, 240 million American adults. So you can see how, how great the disconnect is between the American people's understanding, the government's position, and reality itself. Right. All right, so situation is this. We're asking people to do three things. One, go to the petition at the White House website, either by direct link or by going to the White House website. Create an account, log in, sign this petition. Secondly, and this is even more important, share the direct link with as many as you can using the means at your disposal. Your social media, Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, uh, a blog if you have one, your website. Uh, there are banner links that you can create, and you can pull them right off of disclosurepetition.info, and also through um, email lists and so forth. Spread the link. So you sign it and get 50 people, more people to sign it. And three, at the We the People site, they have a feedback page. It's easy to see the link. By all means, if you have a little extra time, send them a nice respectful message uh, and indicate that you have signed it, and that you happen to think this is an extremely important issue and that you encourage them to provide a thoughtful, comprehensive response to this petition. They read all of those feedbacks, I assure you, and that just adds a little more oomph to the process. Right. But primarily, we need your signature. Secondarily, we need you to spread that link. And tertiarily, we need, uh, it would be nice if you could put up feedback. And we're going to put that link right on the show link, too. So everyone listening right now, you can just click. Now, I have some news. Um, last, uh, on February the 23rd, if, well, let me put it this way. The, the plan was to wait until... I could do an appearance on uh, Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, late night show on this subject matter. Everybody knows about it. I'm sure all your listeners are aware of this show. Uh, it has the largest audience in this genre. Everyone knows that as well. So I waited until I could be brought in as an interview. Uh, and once that was confirmed, then I, that's when we set the date for the petition submission. So the petition went in at 4 p.m. on the 23rd Eastern time, and I appeared on Coast to Coast the first hour. 10 p.m. Pacific time and explain what I'm explaining to your listeners, to that audience. But the news is, is that the host of Coast to Coast AM, George Norrie, and this is greatly appreciated by Paradigm Research Group, I can assure you, committed on the show that they would be keeping the direct link to the petition on top of the Coast to Coast website for the next 30 days, along with the running total of the signatures as they accumulated. And uh, all I can say is that commitment, as soon as I heard him do this, uh, almost guaranteed that we will get the 25000 Yeah, definitely. That's a cool idea. And, of course, you're doing the same thing at your site, and your, your site and your show and your people are going to help too. But, look, we understand that the audience of Coast to Coast is in the millions. Yeah, definitely. Now, 
little bit larger than us. (laughs) A touch larger, but hey, believe me, it all counts. But something more important uh, thus is now in play, something that might not have been possible. And that is this. The 25,000 is absolutely critical to get the White House response, but we're not limited to 25,000. Recently, a petition that Google put up uh, in opposition to the internet piracy bills that were being put through. Yeah, that got huge attention. Not, yes. You know, there, there, there are two sides to that issue without question, and we do need to address piracy. But people felt that these bills were badly constructed. You know, nothing shocking there. I mean, the <laughs> idea that Congress is constructing bad bills yeah. uh, is hardly uh, going to surprise anyone. But the opposition uh, had been fairly, you know, the opposition had been growing, but it, it hadn't really made any impact, significant impact. But then a day before the votes, about a day or two before the votes were going to take place, uh, there was some uh, protests, some, some sites went black. And Google put up this link to a petition. In, in, in 24 hours, 7 million people signed that petition. Wow. 7 million signed that petition. And within another 24 hours, those bills were tabled to be reworked, to be redone. And that's people power. So what can I say? Google has got a lot of traffic there last time I heard, so I understand the yeah. difference. But the point is, is that we're not limited to 25,000 signatures. If enough people learn about this, 100, 200, 300,000 is possible. It's up to the people. And I can assure you, if we start getting big numbers, 50, 75, 100, 150,000 signatures, the news impact will be even greater. This is going to become a very significant global story. So the people that care about this issue, that listen to your show and many others, and I include in, in this number, the very large number of contactees, which are out there. Uh, I'm not shy about this. I have talked with scores of contactees. I'm familiar with the research. I have talked with all of the the top contactee researchers in the world. And I'm not shy about telling you that in addition to the extraterrestrial engagement of this planet by craft, that people are being engaged and contact is happening. Uh, Some of it is not pleasant. Some of it is coerced, whatever. The point is it's contact. And the number of people involved, every effort to sort of try to figure it out by surveys and whatever keeps coming up with a very big number. Uh, But it appears to be in the millions. Uh, How many million worldwide? We don't know. Uh, But it's a big number. And uh, so this includes all of them. And if I were a contactee and... uh, and forced to live in a closet on this and not able to talk about it to anybody because... The truth embargo has created this toxic environment. Right. This is not usual. Other, other, there's other closets that people have to stay in. Um, I would want that to change. Uh, and here is a chance for them to have an impact because obviously if they give their first and last name and email address and we the people in no way have they, uh, quote, jeopardized their, their position as a contactee. They're not, that this, is, this is purely confidential. So uh, they have, you know, if just, if just half of the, <laughs> I would guess if just a, a minor percentage of the number of contactees in the United States were to sign this petition, we'd have several hundred thousand uh, signatures. So this, this is gives you, I'm just trying to paint uh, the framework. I'm trying to give you the framing of this, how big it could be, how powerful it could be. But all of this is dependent upon the ability of people to act collectively. Now, not enough Americans would do that, but let me tell you, it's changing. The last few years, we have seen a sudden, huge growth 
in collective action on the American people, which is to say they're, they're actually starting to use the Internet in ways that it is, is most suitable uh, to be used. Uh, and we are seeing movements being started on the net. We're seeing mass money being created on the net for public uh, issues uh, by the people, not by the politicians. We are seeing petitions of huge size. We're seeing people uh, literally being forced out of office because of uh, massive attention to their their acts, egregious acts. We are seeing bills being changed. It's only, and it's only just getting started. Trust me, it's only the beginning now. The question is whether the, the people who have been following what I think is the most important issue in the world, which is the escalating engagement of the planet by ETs of perhaps various sources, uh, who may have been engaging us for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years or more, I'm, I'm aware of that evidence as well, and we are all watching Ancient Aliens right now, which, by the way, just got picked up for its fourth season. That show is um, great, but, too. It, it makes a lot more it, people be want to be involved in this, which works out good for this petition, too. It's a great show. It's a great show. I'm not saying everything up there is going to be proven to be true, but right. the, the overall context is extremely useful and, and I think, very enlightening to uh, for people, and, 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 they're, and they're getting great ratings. But in any event, whenever the, however long engagement of this planet by non-humans has been going on, since 1947, it's exploded uh, into much more intense engagement. So we're headed towards perhaps the most profound event in human history. It is inevitable, but there is a very, and, and um, perhaps we'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll close here and then maybe take a couple questions from you. But uh, there is a very significant matter embedded in this advocacy movement that a lot of people don't get or considered. And, and it's... Uh, because it's a little tricky to explain, but let me just explain it as simple as I can. Disclosure of the extraterrestrial presence is inevitable. However, what is also the case is that we are facing enormous problems right now. The world is becoming very dangerous, very volatile, and there is still the potential for very bad things to happen, up including, up to and including a perhaps limited nuclear war. We're not out of the woods by any means. Perhaps the worst is over. I mean, we almost had full-scale nuclear war a number of times between 47 and 91, and that would have been the ball game. I mean, that would have been it, folks, right. just you know, turn out the lights and take off because that was it. Uh, but we're not, we're not clear. And, and by the way, recently, just about a month ago, I think, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists moved the hands on the doomsday clock, which has been around since 1947, one more minute closer to midnight. They moved it to five minutes to midnight, and this... That's this significant, clock, actually. I had read that too. That's a significant sign. Yes, it is. And they, you know, this this group, the panel is is comp, com, uh, composed of a number of scientists, including Nobel Prize winners, and they assess the world situation and decide whether the clock is moving closer to nuclear war or further away. And they they and they've moved it closer to midnight several times since 1991, and now it's at five minutes. Um, this this should be concerning to people. So here is the dilemma we face. It is possible that in the near future. Somebody is going to explode a nuclear weapon in a city in the, somewhere in the world, or more than one, or a really large dirty bomb that will almost have the same effect and that it will virtually make that city in, uninhabitable for a long time, or there will be a, a, a significant war develop of a conventional nature. It could be triggered by the bombing of Iran by several possible countries, whatever. There's the potential for some really awful things to happen, and, 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 and the response to those events much like the response to 911, only on an even grander scale, could 
make the 21st century become rather unpleasant. However, there is, as I say, the inevitability, which, which completely is a huge game changer. It alters equations of every type around the world. Recalculations will have to be made, reconsiderations. And so it could very much impact whether or not some of this rather uh, untold behavior takes place, or it could very well mitigate the response to such events so that, you know, how it is, somebody irritates you, and so you could just, you know, ignore them, or you could say something nasty, or you can go burn their house down. (laughs) It's the response that really is what determines what, uh, you know, the ultimate outcomes. Uh, We know what the response to 911 was. Imagine something a thousand times more impacting than 911. What do you think the response to that's going to be? And so here's the punchline. I believe, and I think a growing number of, of people believe, that it's absolutely imperative that the truth embargo end and disclosure take place before any uh, one of such events takes place. So that if and when we do have the next um, catastrophe or geopolitical mess uh, involving huge loss of life with the potential for more, that it happened in the post-disclosure world, in a world where we, we now have acknowledged and know about an extraterrestrial presence, other civilizations, and are now considering the extraordinary potential possibilities uh, for the human race in the, in the 21st century. Does it mean that something bad won't still happen, but it could possibly prevent it, or it could alter how we deal with it? This is a complex argument. I, I know that, but those that figured it out increasingly are in agreement. Absolutely. We have got to get over this hurdle. We've got to get past the truth embargo and into the post-disclosure world, and then try to address our issues from that platform. And, and, and that's, it's non-trivial that there are some very significant potential outcomes that could affect us, affect our options, uh, not the least of which is what, how much do we, have we learned about the alien technology that we have had in our hands in a number of countries, at least the U.S., probably more, where we have been studying the propulsion and energy systems and other tech. Um, what about these statements from people that are working in the black budget world, like Ben Rich and others? Who, exactly take pleasure in, in, in telling us how whatever you think we have, we're 50, 75 years ahead of that. Wow. But, you know, and we're sorry that you're struggling for the cost of energy and, and the cost of food and water, and so many of you are dying every year because of the lack of necessary resources, but we can't let you have that tech because it's just too tricky for you. Uh, so we're keeping it secret, and it's just our little thing, our game, while you all try to deal with mounting global problems. I'm sorry. But that, 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 that doesn't fly anymore. You think that's part uh-huh. of the disclosure, too? Because the consequences of finally admitting that is going to be so dramatic, they're afraid we're going to, like, burn down the White House or something. No, 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 no. The consequences are this. Once the, the, once the <clears throat> extraterrestrial presence is acknowledged, the door is now open for negotiations between three fundamental parties, the United States government, the American people, and the fourth estate of journalism. And the negotiations will be intense and 24-7, where we are trying to work out what we can get out in the open. What can we get uh, out from the secret, out, out, out from under the secret empire and into the public domain uh, to be um, uh, responsibly used to address our our problems. In other words, what tech can we bring forward? How can we further develop it to address the problems? If there is profound new energy sources, let's get them in play. Let's drop the price of energy by 80, 90%. 
let's make it possible to drive an electric car for a thousand miles for 25 cents. Let's bring the cost of heating and so forth and, and, right. uh, and air conditioning and other necessities down by a huge percentage and free up trillions of dollars worldwide to be spent on other needs and concerns and on and on and on. Let's use anti-gravitic drive and propulsion to address concerns we have. These are the negotiations that are going to take place, but they're not going to happen until disclosure because until the ET presence is acknowledged, that stuff is going to be kept inside the secret empire. It's not going anywhere. Right. These are the complex variables that are involved in this movement. It's not a simple movement. These are not simple issues. Right. You don't think, Steve, that if, you know, once the government admits all this, that the people are going to get, not not saying we're not going to get over it, but don't you think everyone's going to get kind of mad that we're paying, you know, huge amounts for energy when we we got this little box that can power the whole planet for like nothing and, you know, that kind of stuff. I just kind of think there's going to be a bad effect, you know, once the truth does come out. I'm going to have to disagree with you, John. Here's why. Yeah. There are going to be people that are angry, uh, the, the, certainly the people that know more of the details and can connect the dots are not going to be irritated. But understand, the vast majority of people don't know this stuff. The vast majority of people are unaware. And when the disclosure presence, uh, when the disclosure of the ET presence is acknowledged, the vast, vast majority of people are going to be primarily interested in one thing. What more can you tell us? What does it mean for me? Where are we going? And they're being very excited. There's going to be an enormous amount of initial excitement. And, and so, no, they're not going to get mad. They're going to get excited. And over time, as we learn more details, yeah, people will be pointing out how inappropriate that action was and how irritating that was and the cost of that. But what else is new? I mean, right. You know, uh, you know we've, been in, we've been in several wars in the last uh, 10 years. A million people have been killed. We've lost a lot of our own people. Trillions of dollars are going to be blown out the door. Are, are people angry about it? Yeah. Are they going on with their lives? Yeah. Uh, we're constantly confronted with information that irritates us about the government. What I can say is, is that the disclosure event and the information that's potentially there is of a far more uh, um, stimulating and positive nature than, than the kinds of things we normally hear. But, you know, here, the government announces today that we're in total financial crisis and we're going to have to give trillions of dollars to Wall Street. Uh, the government announced today that the foreclosure rate is sky high and millions are losing their homes. The government announced today that uh, we're starting up nuclear reactors. The government announced today that the Fukushima you know, meltdowns mm -hmm. in Japan are going to be a major global problem for you and on and on and on. Right. And so the idea that the government announced an ET presence, we're going to get really mad about that and upset. Uh, because we're, we we think it's yeah. wrong or they shouldn't have done it? No. Nah. Well, I don't exactly mean that, though. I just mean, you know, the initial thing for the fact that they've been hiding it to us from so long. I mean, the outcome, I think we're all going to be thrilled. I just mean, you know, the initial thing, like, you know, what the heck? Why have you been hiding this from us? You know, that kind of outcome. I don't mean, like, you know, furious. Um, initially, John, it's going to be pretty exciting and positive. There's not going to be a lot of that. Well, I know I will be. People like you, myself and I, we're going to be thrilled. You're going to be here <laughs> But you know what? No, say say you ask your say you ask the president or ask your representative. Why didn't you tell us before? And they're going to tell you national security reasons. We couldn't we couldn't bring this into the public domain while thousands of nukes were pointed across the poles, and some fool any time could launch a nuclear war and pretty much end civilization. What are you going to say to that? Oh no, you should have done it right. There wouldn't yeah. have been any problems. No. So I mean, there's there's easy answers to this. I mean, it, it one could make a case. Well, why did it take you so long? after the Cold War ended in 91 to tell us. But that's been 21 years. I mean, it, it seems like a long time, but in the larger scheme of things, it's not that long. That's true. Uh, back in the old days, they used to have wars that lasted 100 years, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
God, thank God they don't do that now. I say we got past it, that finally at least. So the Cold War lasted 44 years. So again, John, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to give you a hard time here. I'm just saying that there's a lot of misunderstanding about how this is going to go down and how people are going to react. Uh, and and I, I want to clarify it. I, I think you're going to be quite surprised with how well the American people handle this and how how excited they get. Now, having said that, yeah, uh, a- after the negotiations begin post-disclosure between the government, the people, and the press, and we start getting more information, I'm not discounting the possibility that we are going to learn some information that's going to upset people. In other words, I think it's going to be some very exciting things, and I think people are going to get really stoked yeah, about where things could go in the 21st century. But they are very likely going to learn some things that are going to be somewhat disturbing and, and upsetting. And yes, that, that will happen. Uh, but that will actually happen a little later. The government's not going to walk out, the, 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 you know, the president's not going to walk up to the podium in the East Wing and say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here today to tell you that there is an extraterrestrial presence. And here is the 20 scariest things uh, you're going to find out real soon that are going to absolutely keep you up at night. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so it, the scary stuff will come a little later after we've had time to adjust. So the, the government has had 65 years to prepare for this day. The public awareness has grown to almost universal awareness, and, and the people have learned a huge amount. So we're going to go into this with a substantial amount of information already, and and the government had time to to orchestrate it uh, in such a way as to be uh, as sensitive to the social contract and, you know, social order as possible, which is exactly what they're supposed to do. Um, So I'm optimistic that when it's all playing out, people are going to be quite surprised. They go, wow, this, this is great. I'm cool. I'm all right. And then things will get interesting, even more interesting later on. Anyway, that that's kind of the whole picture. Uh, what John? What else? What does she got for me? And then we can maybe wrap up. Yeah. What did? Uh, where are you at now? You're at a conference or something? You were telling me. Yeah, I, I'm uh, attending the the International UFO Congress in Fountain Hills, which is just outside of Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, it's now the major conference in the United States, run by Open Minds, uh, the biggest, uh, very slick, high quality. And a uh, lot of speakers here, and I, I'm both speaking and in attendance, so I'm, I'm networking and having back meetings. I usually don't attend to the presentations, but I, I, I do a lot of networking. So uh, there's a lot going on. This is this conference is 23rd or 24th year, I forget. Um, but it's been upgraded substantially because the Open Minds has you know, a decent amount of funds to be able to uh, to uh, to do to do this event uh, at a high level, and that's 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 wonderful, and that's another sign that we're making for, uh, making progress and moving forward. Uh, so there's a lot going on here. People can go to ufocongress.com and and see the schedule. And there's still time for some people to come over from Phoenix or whatever. the The biggest day is uh, Saturday, which is tomorrow, uh, and there's a big banquet tomorrow night. So anybody that wants to, they they might still be able to get uh, which will be which will be yesterday since we air on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm referring, of course, to Saturday, the uh, 25th, right, February. Um, uh, and again, the website is ufocongress.com. So, um, and it's going very, very well. And I launched the petition from from here. This was all put out in the press. By the way, I told you there was a press release that went out to uh, a company. I didn't say this. There was a 
as part of the promotion, a press release was sent out through a major service called uh, Official Wire, which is global. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same day, the same time the petition was was put up on the White House website. And it it, it went out to over 200,000 media uh, points, that's media great. points media worldwide. So, and that's possible now, and, and it's not expensive. So, again, the power of the net it's uh, true. for activism is, is huge. And, and so this, 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 if, we, if we can get the signatures up there, if people will go to uh, disclosurepetition.info, take the direct link straight to the White House, or go to the White House website. What is the White House website, too, so people know, Steve? Because we actually got quite a huge international audience. Yeah, whitehouse.gov. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Well, I know you and I know that, but we have yeah, a yeah. lot of people from all over the world, so I just want to make sure they know so they can go and do it. Yeah, they go there, and then they, they go to We the People and find the petition, click on it, create your account, get your link, get your password back, click the verification link, log back in, sign it, and sign anything else you like. I mean, there are about another, I don't know, I think there's about another 70 petitions up right now at this time. Uh, if people do that, if they generate the petition signature counts we need, if they get out, if they spread the word, if they spread the link, we start getting 5, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 signatures. When the media engage it, it's going to be a global engagement. You're going to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles in dozens of languages all around the world about this. This is a very significant moment. This could be a watershed moment in the 65-year UFO ET uh, history phenomena that, that, that we have been dealing with intensely since 1947. This could be it. Now, it's also 2012. Good. Great. Uh, why not? Uh, let's face it, people are in a transitioning frame of mind. So uh, can we have disclosure this year? You bet we can. Would 50 or 100,000 signatures on this position, petition dramatically improve that prospect? Yes, it would. But I can't sign for you folks. You got to do that yourself. Uh, so I hope you'll uh, take advantage of this opportunity and, and put your name behind this. And, and again, what will be published will be your first name and last initial, not your email address. Right. Of course, you could see this when you go to the site. So it's it's a reasonably well done uh, uh, operation, and I and I I heard no no uh, indications whatsoever that anybody is being hassled. Uh, they do give you the option to receive email from the White House. Some people say yes, some say no, but so far this appears to be a benign uh, political engagement of the people uh, to get people involved and also perhaps to. Uh, improve the image of the current administration that certainly wants to win the next election. All well and good. It's democracy, folks. Use it. Enjoy it. Exactly. Uh, embrace it. Uh, it's the it's it, the petitioning process is in the First Amendment. Uh, is the First Amendment the sixth? Forgive me. I should know that. But it is <laughs> it is one of the key uh, uh, members of aspects of the Bill of Rights. It is absolutely critical. And and when we use it, it's it's amazing how often we get results. Uh, people have influenced government since its creation in the you know, 1700s uh, through this process. And so now we can, we can use, use this process better than ever thanks to the blessed Internet. Uh, so, our, so here we are. Um, and so I appreciate your, your support here, John. I appreciate your audience's uh, involvement. And, uh, you know, if you need me to come back, maybe sometime in March to give you an update of where things at. Yeah, that would be at, great. At, 
Don't hesitate. Yeah. Okay, we appreciate it, Steve. And again, to all our listeners out there, make sure you go there and sign this. This is extremely important. And that was Stephen Bassett. We'll be right back. You're listening to Threshold Radio. TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts, Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp, Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights, 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit UFO-info. Welcome back. That last commercial break, Mike and I were talking about uh, an interesting concept, actually. How do we keep our paranormal lives separated from our normal, everyday work life? What were you saying there again, Mike? Yeah, that, well, that's a very good way of putting it, uh, because... I've known so many people who are interested in the paranormal who tend to let it kind of overtake their lives, their their quote-unquote normal lives, and it starts to interfere with things. And so I thought that was an interesting topic. I mean, when you're someone who's really interested in that subject, a subject that, let's face it, a lot of people think is, is weird and unusual. Yeah, and they'll laugh you at know. you if you even mention it. Yeah, I mean, do you come into work every day and start talking about, like, let's say... Um, uh, Ron Fabiani. Okay, he's a he's a cop, a real cop, but he also has this sort of side career as a paranormal investigator. He had the TV show for for a season. Right. I mean, do you think he comes into work every day and and talks about that, or people like tease him? Oh, there's a there's the ghost guy. Well, they yeah. might they might tease him, but I don't think he <laughs> talks about it. But I think Ron like pulls you over and then uh, asks you if you realized what you were doing, and goes. Well, do you believe in ghosts? <laughs> Speaking of yeah. Ron, by the way, he's going to be our guest next week. Mike and I will be talking to Ron, so look forward to that next week. Great tie-in there, Mike. I like the way you did that. You slid that yeah, right in. <laughs> yeah, that was very uh, very coincidental. In no way was that pre, pre, pre-planned. No. Actually, that that's true. I mean, uh, I know I believe in this stuff, but when I go out on computer service calls and stuff, I don't talk about ghosts, you know, yeah. and it's the same as you. I'm sure you don't go in and then start talking about ghosts out of clear blue because people give you that look like you're a nut job. Yeah, well, I mean, it's important to keep yourself grounded, I think, in your sort of practical everyday reality. I mean, I know some people, they can get really in-depth in this subject and start believing all kinds of crazy things. And it's important to kind of keep one foot on the ledge so that you don't fall off the cliff. Oh, exactly. And you can't be too involved in either. I mean, I, I love this stuff, and it, I, it's the coolest hobby, and I stress the word hobby. It's not professional. I enjoy doing it. I like, you know, going to places and doing that, but it, it's just nothing more than a hobby. You know, it's not um, it's not my profession. You know, I'm not professional ghost hunter. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, right now I, I'm in kind of a tough spot because I'm, I'm running for county board here in Winnebago County, and I've been interested in politics most of my life. Uh, it's been one of my other interests, you know. I, I'm interested in ghost stories and things like that. I like history, and I've been interested in politics. And so I decided to throw my hat in the ring here uh, in my own home county. And unfortunately, you know, I've, I've tried uh, very hard to keep my interests separate. 
from the political stuff. But unfortunately, recently, the two came together in a way that I hope won't turn off some voters. I know some people might that might pique their curiosity, but there are a lot of very strongly religious people in the area who might think, oh, that guy's dabbling in the occult or whatever, right. which, which isn't true. But, you know, that's the assumption they might have. Well, there, I know there was a recent article that called you a paranormal, I forgot what it was, turned politician, which isn't true, actually, because all you do, you're a historian and you do research, and you're telling us about these stories that you've done the research on. You're, you're not a ghost hunter. You don't drive around in the station wagon with a siren on the roof and the picture <laughs> of the ghost on the doors chasing things. <laughs> Right. I mean, essentially, I'm a, a folklorist, but I'm a little bit more than that. I call myself a folk historian because a folklorist, really, all they do is collect tales and they categorize those tales. What I try to do is use the stories to learn something about local history. So I try to, to tie history into it. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm very interested in the more unusual side of things. Uh, but I've given papers at uh, the Illinois History Conference um, in 2007, 2010, and 2011. Uh, so, you know, I've done a lot of work in, in all those different areas. And I, I don't like to be pigeonholed into one particular area. Well, you, you've written, you've got a column you write for... Uh political stuff too don't you or isn't there somewhere oh, yeah. you write that too yeah i mean it's again it's two interests one side you enjoy the paranormal and the other side's that doesn't mean you make you a, a paranormal politician <laughs> right yeah that's <laughs> hey you know i mean they say any press is good press so if it gets my name in the paper maybe it's a good thing well hopefully but you're from a small area and sometimes that turns on you <laughs> so we'll see how it goes yeah, hopefully it won't negatively affect things. And really, I, I'm ready to talk about that with anybody who wants to to hear about it. Because, frankly, I, I think that there are a lot of people who are interested in at least my kind of politics that are also interested in the paranormal or UFOs or conspiracies or well, things like that. Well, what's your view on equal rights for ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think someone has to be alive in order to have, have rights. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's a fine line, right? And, yeah. And do, and do you believe in werewolf? <laughs> so we got to get this all out for the voters so they know who they're voting for. Yeah. Well, you know, I should turn this around on my opponents and say, and where do you stand on UFOs? <laughs> See, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. See, that's how you got to be in the political arena. Anything they say, you turn it around back in their face. Yeah, like... Uh, you know, like if, if they're not uh, into the paranormal, they must be the suspicious ones. Yeah, like, well, why don't you believe in it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what do you got for us today, Mike? Anything? Do you have any of your famous lists? or In the news I've been looking, uh, I can't find anything for us to talk about this week, actually. There's no cool things happening in, uh, what, what country was that, your favorite country? Wh the, Wales, Wales is not a, yeah, it's not a country, it's part of Great Britain. Oh, that's right, See. So See, you know that because you're the historian, and I'm just the paranormal guy, so I don't know that. Yeah. But there's been no UFO sightings there recently we can talk about. No, it seems like the springtime is a real slow period. How about have you, has anybody shot any notebooks lately? No, not okay. that I've seen. <laughs> you have but to, I do. I was going to say, you have to tune in to last week's show to understand that one. <laughs> well, I do have a top ten list for us today. 
And this one is one I, I don't think that we've done before. And this is the top 10 most haunted schools in Illinois, not to be confused with the top 10 most haunted colleges. Okay. These are all elementary, middle school, and high schools. You would never confuse a school with a college. <laughs> no. I one's, mean, one's for learning. One's for partying. <laughs> yeah. So... Now, we all know, of course, that adolescence can be a particularly hard time in a person's life. And we know we spend a lot of time in school during our adolescence, okay? But sometimes, at some of the schools that we go to, uh, we're stalked by the unseen. So, which one of these schools will prove to be the most haunted? At number 10, we have the Yorkville Middle School, formerly uh, the middle school. This is in Yorkville, Illinois. It's now home to the Circle Center Grade School. This so, old... so you're going to terrify little children in this list, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Plenty of children will not be able to go to sleep. <laughs> Good job. So it's now home to the Circle Center Grade School. This old Yorkville Middle School is said to be haunted by the ghost of a janitor who died of starvation in 1978 after he was trapped in the school's elevator over summer break. Now, former students reported feeling as though they were being watched in the hallways even when they were alone. But you can rest uh, easy because a local newspaper investigated the story and found several inconsistencies, including no record of a death in the building in 1978. And no elevator, right? (laughs) Yeah, the fact that there's no elevator there. I just guessed that. I could see that one coming. Yeah, so that's why it's number 10, right? So (laughs) (laughs) number number nine is the St. Charles East High School. This is a currently operating high school. Uh, This was in St. Charles, Illinois, of course. Now, this high school used to be located at the corner of Main Street and 7th Street, in a building which is now home to the Thompson Middle School. During the late 1970s, the city saw fit to construct a new high school along Dunham Road. Sometime between 1978 and 2000, when the school split into east and north, a story began to circulate about the ghost of a girl who had been raped and murdered there by a janitor. There's that the janitors <laughs> right. play a huge role in these stories. Now, allegedly, the freshman girl was attacked while practicing her flute in the band room. Uh, I won't make an off-color joke there. Okay. And the deranged janitor chopped up her body and stuffed the pieces into various lockers. Band students sometimes claim to see the body parts in their lockers, only to have them vanish before their eyes. <laughs> Just body uh, parts? <laughs> yeah, all over the place. Others have heard the faint sound of a flute playing while alone in the room. On other occasions, flutes have gone missing or appear to have been played during the night. Now, this is a pretty gruesome story, but it's number nine on the list because it's probably just a a folk tale and not based on a real story. Kind of sounds like band camp. Yeah, that's well, I keep (laughs) thinking about American Pie when I read that. I know exactly. That's what I meant. (laughs) It's so inappropriate. So number eight on the list is, is the former Lord's High School in Chicago, Illinois. This one comes from our one of our favorite ghost experts, Richard T. Crow. He taught English and journalism at this high school in 1972 and 1973. Now, during that time, he said that he heard stories about a nun who haunted the third floor. Tales of the Phantom Nun have been told there for decades. You had uh, heavy footsteps were sometimes heard, and a ghostly specter was seen on more than one occasion. Stitch Hall, an auditorium added during the 1950s, also reportedly experiences activity. 
Several years ago, Lourdes closed and John Hancock High School opened in its place. It is unknown whether the ghostly activity has continued. Now, th this is one of these places that I checked up on and updated because the, the story of Lord's High School has been reprinted in a lot of ghost, uh, ghost books, mm -hmm. but nobody has mentioned the fact that it doesn't exist anymore as an institution. Now, there's a different school there. So, so, the, it's so the building is still there. It's just a different school now, you mean? Right. It has a different name and everything. I don't think the ghosts really care that, though. No, I don't think so, but I, I think just to avoid confusion, it's important to keep these up to date. Correct. Because uh, one, of, one of the schools that I heard, that I read about, uh, it's been turned into an old folks' home, and <laughs> no one's ever updated that in any of their books. So number seven is Quincy Junior High in Quincy, Illinois. Now, the middle school years, of course, we know are generally a tough time for adolescents, and for some, the stress can be too much to bear. For students of Quincy Junior High, their angst has been personified in the ghost of a young boy who, according to legend, hung himself in one of the bathrooms after being dumped by his girlfriend. Now, I didn't even have a girlfriend in middle school to <laughs> be dumped school, by. middle school, my gosh. So, <laughs> every year on the anniversary of his death, students and teachers are said to hear footsteps, crying, and mumbling in the bathroom. Students claim that teachers have kept quiet about the boy's death in order to prevent copycats. Yeah, oh, yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Quincy Junior High now, it occupies this beautiful old building that was constructed in 1933, and it was formerly the Quincy uh, High School between 1933 and 1957. So number six on the list is Fremd High School in Palatine, Illinois, now, Fremd actually wasn't too far from where I lived in, in Prospect Heights for a few years. And some people that I know actually went there. Uh, so this one is kind of interesting to me. Now, Fremd High School, it opened in 1961 to ac accumulate the baby boomers. And it's reportedly haunted by three ghosts, one of which has roamed its halls since the 1970s. In Colt's Auditorium, seats spring up and spotlights have been known to light on their own. Another nameless phantom is said to sigh and moan in room 122. The most infamous ghost at Frem haunts the swimming pool where a freshman girl died of a heart attack while swimming laps. Now that story is actually true. So students claim that the spot where she drowned is always much colder than the rest of the pool. The water is colder there? Yes. And others have seen a colorful haze hovering over the water. So today, Fremd is actually has the largest student body in the district, and it's recognized as one of the best high schools in the state of Illinois. So by saying this, you just freaked out half the kids going there. Well, I'm, I'm sure everyone going there has heard the stories. I mean, one, one of these stories or another. Don't, don't the schools try to keep these kind of things quiet normally? Well, they do, but you know how kids talk about things. Th then comes Mike, you know, yeah. <laughs> announces it on the radio. <laughs> well, you know, I when I went to St. Mary's in, in Des Plaines, it was an old Catholic school, an elementary school, and I always thought, you know, I always imagined it was haunted, but I never heard any stories about it, so I was kind of disappointed. I went to Carl Sandburg High School in Orland Park. It wasn't haunted, and we even had janitors. <laughs> <laughs> there's you, always that the evil janitors are always out to get everyone right there actually is a story about the janitor but i can't tell you on the air oh was it a real story or a ghost yes story? this is a real story and it involved a student and that's as far as i'm going <laughs> oh i see well we'll leave that at that <laughs> okay so number five on our list is channing elementary school this is in elgin illinois a lot of our listeners may be familiar with this story 
A Channing Elementary School has had the unfortunate distinction of having been built over what remained of Elgin's first cemetery. During the 1940s, most of the graves were moved to accommodate a new sports field, but in the 1960s, when construction crews broke ground on the new elementary school, their equipment began to uncover human remains. Since then, faculty and staff at Channing Elementary have reported an elevator that seems to move on its own, footsteps on the roof, dark figures, and even scratching on the walls. Today, a stone monument to the dead buried at the original cemetery sits at a nearby park. So that one uh, really would freak me out, I think, if I was a student there. Oh, definitely. So number four was Antioch Community High School. This is in Antioch, Illinois. And interestingly enough, my uh, mom grew up in Antioch, and she went to the high school there, but she said that she never heard any ghost stories. So a lot of these are probably new. So Antioch Township High School, as it was originally known, has served the community from its campus on Main Street for nearly a century, but progressive renovations and additions have rendered the school unrecognizable from its earliest days. Expansions took place in five stages between 1927 and 2002. In 1998, the original buildings were demolished to make room for an administrative office and a media center. With so much history, it is no wonder Antioch High is rumored to be home to some unusual phenomenon. During the 1990s, about a half dozen former students approached Scott Marcus, author of Voices from the Chicago Grave, and informed him of an unusual string of off-campus student deaths during that decade. Additionally, a widespread rumor circul circulating among alumni was that a drama student had hung himself in the auditorium. In one unnerving incident, an art teacher witnessed the locker doors in a basement hallway swing open in perfect synchronicity. That particular hallway is said to bring chills and discomfort to anyone who is unlucky enough to have a locker there. Now, number three on our list is another one where a friend of mine went to high school. This is Urbana High School in Urbana, Illinois. This was just up the road from Eastern Illinois University. So a lot of my friends from Eastern who went to, to uh, school in Urbana and Champaign, they, of course, remember this story. Now, this school was built in 1914 and designed in the Tudor style. This high school, it's uh, undergone repeated renovations in the past 96 years. We all know that brings out the ghosts. Mm -hmm. And one of these renovations inadvertently gave birth to a ghost story that has endured at the school for several generations. Between 1914 and 1986, a small area known as the Tower was home to two classrooms, one for art and one for music. The Tower is located in the central portion of the school and was accessed by a narrow set of stairs. During the renovations of the 1980s, the tower was closed because it couldn't be made accessible to handicapped students. Students at the high school have their own explanation for the, for the closing, however. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. They believe the tower was locked up after a love affair between a teacher and a student ended in tragedy. The teacher reportedly hung herself from the <laughs> indoors fire escape. I'm sorry, that's not funny. <laughs> It's not funny, but we laugh because there's a lot of... Hangings. Yeah, there's a lot of hangings. A lot of hangings and janitors in all your stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to Troy Taylor, the door to the tower is said to open without cause, and lights can be seen in the windows at night. Once, when staff members called police to investigate whether someone was trespassing in the tower, they heard loud, unexplainable tapping. 
Now, this story, uh, it always brings to mind that episode of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know if you ever watched that show. No, actually, I haven't. It's, it was my brother's favorite show, though. Oh, well, he probably would remember the episode where the high school was haunted by these ghosts from the 1950s of a, a teacher who was had an affair with a student, uh, and there was a murder-suicide. So every time I read this story, I think of that episode. So number two now is another interesting one, the Abingdon Middle School. This is a former middle school. It's now closed. This was in a little town on the way to Western Illinois University. And it's a story. I I saw it on the Shadowlands Index of Haunted Places. And it's always sort of spiked my curiosity. And finally, when I went to Western to get my second master's, uh, I, I drove over to this little town and you can see it sitting there abandoned. And I think that there was a group that opened it up for tours, I think, last year. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go. But here is the story. So the old Abingdon Middle School at Snyder and Washington Streets was formerly North Abingdon High School. During the 1970s, a tornado damaged the building and knocked down its distinctive chimney. Stories of the school's hauntings go back decades. According to legend, a speech teacher at the high school brought her three-year-old child to work one day and left him outside to play on his tricycle while she ran into her classroom to get something. Unsupervised, her child accidentally fell down the cement steps and broke his neck. The teacher was so grief-stricken that she hung herself (laughs) in her classroom. (laughs) Again, that's not fun. And, you know, there are rumors that this actually did occur, although I I haven't heard any... uh, any substantial proof there are many people who will swear that this actually happened but can't you get like old newspapers and pull that stuff up well the problem is that some of these small towns they don't have the best archives and it it's it's up to the newspaper and the local library you know to to archive the old articles so sometimes you just won't be able to find them but so ever since this allegedly happened Uh, The ghosts of both the woman and her child have been seen in and around the school, and a former janitor even reported (laughs) the sightings to police. Some storytellers claim that bloodstains appear on the steps where the child died. According to writer Michelle Williams, these stories may have their roots in an actual event, which is well-remembered in the community. Today, the school is abandoned and off-limits to visitors. You know, I think one of the reasons why janitors tend to see a lot of these things is because they're in the school... (laughs) Well, they're, they're in the school after dark, you know, when everyone's yeah. gone home and it's it's nice. And you know what school I should have had on this list? What's that? Uh, there's a high school in Olney where they saw a ghost. And I'm not sure why I didn't include it, but I think it would have been better than the, the Yorkville Middle School that turned out to be completely based on nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so let's go down the list now from 10 to 2, and then we'll read the number one. So number 10 was the former Yorkville Middle School. Which is number nothing. Nine, yeah, which is nothing. <laughs> number 9 is St. Charles East High School. Number 8 is the former Lords High School. Number 7 is Quincy Junior High. Number 6, Fremd High School. Number 5, Channing Elementary School. Number 4, Antioch Community High School. Number 3, Urbana High School. Number 2, Abingdon Middle School, former, formerly known. And the number one most haunted school in Illinois is, of course, the Old Milton School in Alton, Illinois. Now, this was most recently home to a decorative glass company. But from 1904 to 1984, the building served as Milton Elementary School. Locals whisper that during the 1930s, 
a dark event left a stain on the history of the school. According to legend, a janitor raped and murdered a girl in the gym locker room. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry. That's not funny. <laughs> Again with the janitors. Suspicion fell on the janitor. Did he after hang himself? He no. Well, okay. yes. <laughs> See, I just knew it. Suspicion fell on the janitor after he failed to report to work the next day. Not long after, he returned to the school and took his own life. <laughs> but we don't know how he did it. It could have been hanging. It could have been some oh, other We'll way. go with hanging. That follows everything else. <laughs> yeah. Since that time, female visitors have experienced very negative feelings in the area of the building, even if they've never heard the story. Up until the school closed in 1984, one educator in particular reported seeing and hearing the ghost of a young girl in her office. Now others encountered a more hostile spirit, that of the murdered janitor. A psychic reportedly exercised this negative presence. And uh, Milton School, as some of you may remember, appeared in an episode of the Ghost Hunters on October 6, 19, or, uh, 2010. So it was uh, the feature. Well, that um, was in Alton, you said, right? Isn't Alton like that entire town that's haunted? Isn't that that place? Yeah, it's generally known as one of the most haunted towns in Illinois, although there are a lot of cities that claim to be that. I mean, Chicago, obviously, Decatur, Alton, uh, Lebanon, some people even say. Rockford. Yeah, Rockford. So really, I mean, it's it's a toss-up. You know what we should do, Mike, actually, since you just did this list, we should ask our listeners to write in with their stories about their high schools and middle schools and colleges and everything from around the world. And I think that'd be an interesting subject if people would help us out with that. Oh, yeah, that would be that would be cool. Um, yeah, submit your stories. Even our, even our Wales friends, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what uh, email address could they send those to? Uh, they can send it to uh, info at uh, ufo-info.com. That's the main address for the show. Or you can actually call the show or text the show, which the number I don't know off the top of my head. It's on our main page. Well, either way, you can actually go to our Facebook page or to the main page or emails or smoke signals or anything you want. Just get the stories to us. And we want all over, especially we've got quite a few friends in uh, England, too. I think yeah. that that would be some amazing stories out there. All those countries that are way older than the United States, they should have some amazing stories. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of ghost stories, I'd like to remind all of our listeners that I'm putting together an anthology of fictional mm -hmm. tales of paranormal investigation. So if you're interested in writing a story or maybe you've already written a story involving a paranormal investigation team or something you know, some ghost hunting excursion or maybe an encounter along those completely lines. Completely made up you want, right? Just completely. Right. So basically uh, like most of the paranormal TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it has to be written in narrative style. As So we're not looking for what happened to your group in reality. You know, short stories, fictional, um, any kind of genre is fine. It could be set in the past. It could be horror, comedy, adventure. Uh, sci-fi, you know, whatever you think would be a great story. And they send that, uh, what did you say last week, buckwheat or something? Uh, st uh, <laughs> let me spell it out, stanleyweiss2 uh, at gmail.com. So S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-W-E-I-S-S -S and the number 2 at gmail.com. And if you want to check out the guidelines for the uh, anthology, just go to blackoakmedia.org. Look at the right-hand side of the page. There'll be a little link that says Anthology, and it'll say Hunting Ghost. So this is going to be a great collection, I think. 
You know, stories should be about 4,000 to 10,000 words. Uh, all the contributors are going to get a free copy of the book. And we'll mention uh, your name on the radio, too. If, yeah. If the best story, we'll talk about you on air. Well, when we actually, when I publish the book, when we get it all together, you know, I'll talk about it again and some of the stories and stuff, because I think we're going to get a lot of good submissions. Well, we should, I mean, our listeners should help, too. I mean... I see the numbers. I know there's thousands and thousands of you all over the world. We need some interaction. Yeah, even, even if you're not, you don't live in the States, you know, if you're in even England. If, even if you're in Wales. Yeah, even Wales. <laughs> uh, but please, uh, make sure to spell everything correctly. I mean, if you're from Wales. so <laughs> Wales is going to be like our Berwin from the Spanguli show. <laughs> and I don't know, the. Uh, I guess you probably have to be an older audience to understand that one. Yeah, the, there was a show, a local... Uh, I grew up what, with Spanguli. What channel was that on? That used to that, be that used to be thirty two. That was Fox initially, way back then. Fox Channel thirty two. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, it's it's switched over to Spanish language. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't it? I, I think. No, Sp- no it was Span- the you. Spangu- was- Spanguli still speaks English pretty much. <laughs> No, I didn't mean the show. I mean, oh, that I thought channel, you meant he, he went to Espanol. <laughs> yeah. No, but it was, you know, he used to play these old horror movies and make fun of them and had rubber chicken jokes, and it was a great time. Yeah, and he would always go, Berwin. <laughs> yeah, they'd always make fun of Berwin because of its used car lots. Yeah, he was just actually like the, what was it? I just read it in the paper for the Berwin Parade. I think it was last summer. He was uh, the Grand Marshal or something, and the Berwyn spent a bunch of money on rubber chickens, and he threw them to the audience. And That's a, bu- great. a bunch of people complained about wasting uh, taxpayers' money on rubber chickens. <laughs> I remember when Rich Coase, the actor who plays that uh, that guy, I remember when he did the Coase Zone, that, that kid's cartoon show. Uh-huh. Well, you know Spanguli's still on. No, oh, I well, I don't live in Chicago anymore, so I don't get that station. I don't either. But uh, do you get? I think it's Me TV. Do you get that out there? It's when they play all types of old shows. But he's actually on Me TV now. Huh? No, I didn't know that. We learn something new every day. Yeah, look at that. You know, that's why you should turn into Thresholds Radio because we're educational. Where else would you hear this stuff? That's right. This is good information. You go to work tomorrow. You have things to talk about. Yeah, you know, maybe they've never heard of uh, a Spenguli. Yeah, Spenguli was big if you're from the Chicago area. Everyone around here is going to know, but I don't know, people all over the place, maybe even in Wales, they probably have no idea. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully we'll get them some new fans. Okay, Mike, well, you got anything else for us? That's about it for me right now, but, you know, stay tuned for next week because I'll have something great as always. Well, actually, next week uh, we'll be talking too, but we're actually going to be talking to... uh, Ron Fabiani, too. Yes, love that guy. He's always got something interesting to say. Okay, well, I'll talk to you again next week. All right, that was Michael Clean. You're listening to Thresholds Radio. We'll be right back. TheEdgeOnAir.com and Thresholds into Other Realms present Thresholds Radio, a weekly show dedicated to all things paranormal. Join your hosts, Sam Moranto, John Stevenson, and Anthony Kopp, Fridays from 10 to 11 p.m. for an expedition beyond your most unexplainable dreams. With new guests every week, Thresholds Radio will bend your views on reality. That's Friday nights, 10 to 11 on TheEdgeOnAir.com. For more info on Thresholds Radio, visit ufo info 
Sports.com.